All right. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning and your electronic devices, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Continue to make our way through this great letter that Peter has written. This morning we'll be looking at verses 3 through 5. I entitled our message, Five Gifts for Us. Last week we looked at five truths about us. Um, in many ways, these are still five truths about us. These are things that are true about us because of God's grace and goodness and mercy and love. I mean, really everything that we have, we have because the Lord has given it to us. Um, but these are um, blessings that we get to enjoy, and so we're going to look at them through that lens. If you're there at 1 Peter, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Again, verses 3 through 5 of 1 Peter. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, and undefiled, and, the, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. All right, we'll pause there. Uh, let's pray. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the day, your blessing and grace in our lives. Lord, even as, we'll, as we've read and we'll talk about your abundant mercy, Lord, we thank you for how your mercies are new every morning. Lord, even when we blow it and we do, we stumble and we sin and we do, Lord, your grace abounds. And Father, we give you praise and glory for that, for all that you are and all that you have done. And Lord, I, I pray that we this morning, um, as Jesus would encourage us and remind us how we are the, the branches, Lord, you are the true vine, and you invite us to abide in you, that we might find our true fulfillment in you, Lord, all that we need. And Father, that we trust the work that you're doing in our life. If it's a, a season of pruning where you're cutting things back and you're, uh, you're reshaping our, our, you know, our um, commitments and involvements, Lord, uh, that's your work and we want to just yield to you. Or Lord, if it's a season where we get to experience uh, new growth. In all seasons, Lord, may we glorify you Seek to be fruitful in all that we do. Lord, speak to us now through your spirit, from your word. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take a moment, please. Say hello to someone. Greet your neighbor, and then you may have a seat. Anybody here read the, it's Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages, that book. It's actually a whole series of them, different ones, right? 
Uh, I found out they do, they do have it in Japanese for our Japanese brothers. Actually, they have it in Chinese, uh, Korean, and in Spanish as well, uh, I found out. Uh, I've read the book. I've read actually some of the other ones that he has put forth. And uh, I, I don't put a, a whole lot of you know, stock into that, weight into that. But I, I think it, it's a helpful tool. It's a great resource just to give us some perspective and some insight on our relationships you know, it's not necessarily uh, a chapter in our scripture that we can turn to that addresses, you know, here are the five love languages. Uh, but, but certainly, God wants us to receive and, and be givers of love. And, and certainly, love can be expressed, and it is expressed in various forms and ways. I mean, God himself demonstrates his love towards us through various means. Um, Mr. Chapman's premise is that there are five areas that people prefer, that they gravitate to, and, and sometimes there's a difference between the way that we demonstrate love and even the way that we, we, we prefer to receive expressions of love. And if you're familiar with it, review. If you're not, you know, the five areas are uh, spending quality time. Is anybody that, that you? Is quality time person? Nobody here is quality time. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, receiving gifts, uh, physical touch, words of affirmation, and the last is acts of service. And if you're like, I have no idea what I am, there's actually a free quiz online you can take later uh, if you're interested. You know, perhaps you already know these things, and you know, maybe you know them about your spouse, you know them about your, your children. I think, again, uh, it, it's good. It's a resource. It's a tool for us to you know, better love the people around us. Uh, and I think I can safely say that God's brand of love, right, his agape love, en encompasses all of those qualities. And, and a close second, I think, would be snickerdoodle cookies, right? You know, just <laughs> the sixth form of uh, love language. But, but God demonstrates, God himself demonstrates his love through all of these arenas to us and for us, uh, again, in, in various ways. And I bring that up just as, as a way of introduction in that in this next section, as we read these verses, P Peter is going to describe, uh, if you will, five gifts of God's love. And he doesn't mention God's love, but certainly it's the undergirding here, the expression of God towards us and the things that God has done for us and the things that God has given to us. And the whole reason is because God loves you. God loves you. Now, there are many more than just the five we will note together this morning, but they provide a great baseline for us, and I think an important baseline for us to build from. And I would add this, that especially if your love language is receiving gifts, this might be of extra special meaning to you uh, because these are gifts. And, and please know, though, they are spiritual gifts or they are theological truths, theological gifts important for us to understand because they, they, as we will read them, provide a sure foundation for our faith. I think you know this, right? If, if, if our understanding of who God is, his character and his nature, who God is, if our understanding of who God is, and then along with that, our understanding of who we are then in the Lord, if we get that wrong, everything goes wrong. 
right? If, if our understanding of who God is, his character is, and, and then how God sees us, and, and then who you and I are in the Lord, if that's not right, our direction, our decisions, all of it will, will, won't be right. And often how it's manifested is then when troubles come and pain comes and suffering comes and hardships come. Because it'll test the structure. Right? It'll test our foundations. And, and if their foundation isn't right, oh, we will easily get dislodged and crumble and tumble, be tumbled by life. See, Peter wants to make sure that his readers, and of course, as we read it today, by proxy, if you will, us today, to grasp this truth and have this concrete in our hearts because he's going to bring us to, because life is hard. He's going to quickly move in verse 6 to say, and in this uh, you greatly rejoice, for though a little while we have been experiencing various trials. In chapter 3 and 4 and 5, he's going to talk about suffering. And so turbulence and troubles and pain and betrayal and hurt and struggles and illness, all of it, all various kinds of trials will come. And I liken it to us in in many ways, uh, you know, living here in in Okinawa, that we know oftentimes part of the summer, along with beaches and sunburns and all the blessings that come with summer in Okinawa, uh, also comes typhoon season, right? It, it's often a package deal. And, and the typhoons can be big and powerful storms that can, can thrash this place. But thank God we live in concrete bunkers. Right? <laughs> Most of our houses and apartments, right? They're, they're pretty strong. I mean, they're not pretty, but they're strong. And so if, if we're structurally sound, we can withstand storms. And that's what Peter wants to ensure for us. It begins with you know, understanding who God is, his nature, his character, and then who are we in the Lord? And this is what Peter has given for us. And, and so the, these are the things we're going to consider this morning. And after Peter's introduction, he, remember he uses two specific terms to describe his audience. Pilgrims and elect. Pilgrims and elect. And we noted together five truths that were kind of tucked into that opening that, that God, God elected you. God picked you before the foundation of the world. God chose. God knew. On purpose and for a purpose, God selected you. Uh, his spirit, we're told, was working in us. In us, through us, with us, His Spirit sanctifying us. We've been called out of the world, and now God's Spirit takes the world out of us in that process of sanctification. God calls us to obedience. And we noted together that obedience is not a legalistic, let's follow rules and rituals. It is based on love. We love God because God first loved us. And then Jesus says, if you love me, then keep my commands. We noted together that God's forgiveness, 
It wasn't just a, a one-time transaction when uh, God opened our eyes and our hearts to the truth of the gospel and, and, and Jesus Christ came into our life. No, this is a continual forgiveness that, you know, 1 John 1, 9, we have spiritual soap. When we blow it, and we will, but when and if we confess our sins to the Lord, God is faithful and just. He will forgive us of all unrighteousness. And even though it was intended just as a simple greeting, we, we took some liberty and just grace and peace be multiplied to you. That is a truth of the Lord as he considers our life. He wants us to grow in the knowledge of God and his peace and his grace, and we can. That, that, that can increase in our life. And so as a result of his own salutation, as he begins this letter, now in verse 3, there's exaltation. All that, the God, you know, all that God the Father has done. God the Father chose us. God the Spirit sanctifies us. God the Son has saved us. And, and I imagine for Peter, as he just writes out that introduction, that, he, that his heart so filled with the grace of the Lord, it then spills out now as praise. And so that's what he says in verse 3. Blessed be, praise be, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You just pause for a, a, a minute. You know, we read these things, and, and because we read them often, sometimes they just become words on a page. It's a phrase, if you've been in church, uh, you're very familiar with. Paul uses the same type of uh, introduction. But just for a moment, I, I want to give us a, a bonus point, if you will. Peter ascribes worth and worship to God the Father. And in doing so, he affirms a truth, hopefully we all also ascribe to you, that there is one true God in the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Everything we receive starts upon this realization and relationship. Because it's, it's one thing to know about God. It's one thing to know about the Bible. It's one thing to read about God in Jesus. And a very, very different thing to have a relationship with him. People today claim to know God, claim to know a Jesus, or even claim to know God's, lowercase g. But they lack, they lack a, a, a living, loving, growing, dynamic relationship with the one true God. For them, it's in the category of maybe just good morality or in the category of tradition, in the category of ceremony or rituals or regulations, but devoid of, of knowing and loving Jesus. And there are, there are many counterfeit faiths today, and I would, I would even say there are many counterfeit Christians today. People claim to know or believe in Jesus. But it's not, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's a different Jesus. In fact, the Lord himself said, be careful. There's going to be those who come and claim false messiahs and false Christs 
And sadly, I think there's even a brand, uh, uh, you know, where there are those who, who fabricate their own version of Jesus, their own version of God. We, we live in a culture and society today that loves to customize things. You know, you can almost make anything customized now. Like specific, tailored to your preferences and your likes. Clothes and sports equipment and cars now. I mean, there's, I think almost anything can be made to order nowadays. And it's that mentality that people... I think sadly bring when they come to, you know, to, to the Lord and they, they want a, a customized version of Christ. A tailor-made faith that suits their personal preferences. Influenced by culture a lot of times. And, and then, you know, their own, our, our own sin. You, you've heard me, if you've been around for a while, you've heard me say, sorry, this is my note, so bonus. Use this term salad bar Christianity. People come like a salad bar. They just, I like this. I like this. Oh, I like God's grace. I like forgiveness. I like blessings. But, you know, repentance from sin, <laughs> disciplining ourselves into godliness. We treat it like beets, right? Or those little weird carrot, uh, corn, those corn things. I Still, I don't, you know, what is that? Is that... It's an abomination. That's not corn to me. <laughs> we treat our faith like that, like a salad bar. Oh, I'll just take this part and this part. Again, it's dangerous. We have to be careful. And that's, again, that's why it's so important. It's so important for us to, to study the scriptures. And why we as a church take time, right? We, we give a lot of emphasis and time to opening the Bible and going through the scriptures together. And my challenge to you is to be, as Paul would commend this group called the Bereans in the book of Acts, how they opened their Bibles, if you will. They sought the scriptures daily to make sure that what they were hearing, what they were being taught was in line with the word of God. You have that charge. But it's important for us. We want to establish the foundation of our life on the Word of God, not on our preferences, not on our imaginations or our emotions or our traditions, and certainly not our definitions. What does the Word of God say? And so we begin as Peter just is praising the Lord. Exaltation, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Here's the first gift that God gives us. The first truth of who we are. We are the recipients of God's great mercy. You have God's great mercy. You know, when we, when we receive a reward... Or an award, we certainly can be thankful to God for it, but, but often a, a reward or an award is given because of something you accomplished, that you've achieved. For, for many of you, you know, it's, uh, it's ribbons that you get to wear, or plaques and awards or promotions, stripes on your sleeve, or 
uh, different insignias that you wear. You worked hard. And you sacrificed. And you performed well. And, and a reward followed. Of course, the Bible says promotion comes from the Lord. But, but Peter wants to set the record straight. In this regard, for us spiritually, all that we've received is not because of something we have earned, that we've sacrificed, that we've hustled, and, and, and now we've accomplished this. We might say in the category uh, of the term of justice, a just act is to receive then you know, what is fair, right? what is equal, what is deserved. But he says, according to his abundant mercy. Mercy is in its own lane. And mercy can be defined as an act of compassion or forgiveness towards someone who deserves otherwise. And usually it's in the negative. Usually it's punishment or a penalty. The Bible portrays for us, it's our sin against the Lord. We deserve death. Right? We deserve the penalty, the just penalty of separation, an eternal separation against the Lord. I mean, that, that would be the just response from God against our sin. And yet God in his great mercy did not give us what we deserve. I know I've overplayed this line uh, and you've been around for a bit. <laughs> you know, you might, I have to... Th- until I can hear a better one, I'll just continue to use this, so bear with me. Christy's driving the car, my kids, when, you know, they're acting up, and they rally, and all of a sudden they have this campaign. We're hungry. We want McDonald's. Then it moved into, we deserve McDonald's. We deserve McDonald's. And Christy, in her frustration, turned to them, and she says, you deserve death. <laughs> They all got quiet. <laughs> like, well, that's theologically true, babe. I don't know if that's good parenting, but you know. <laughs> we deserve death. But we have been given mercy. The Bible says, because, or not the Bible, excuse me, this great hymn says, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied. To look on him, speaking of Jesus, and pardon me. Several years ago, uh, Christy and I were in the States, and we were in Southern Cal, and we're going to go visit some friends that were in Yuma, Arizona. And so we're in a rental car, driving on Highway 8, if you've ever been on that road. Beautiful day, not another car inside on this road for many, many miles. And so I put it on cruise control, and I was driving it accelerated right? <laughs> and then magically out of nowhere uh, appeared in my rear view a California highway patrol and sure enough the lights turn on and like just my heart sank like oh this is the last thing I want so I pull over and the whole ordeal the officer comes a standard routine license and registration you know and and then as he's looking at my license, uh, he asks if my license or my address is current or accurate. And so then this led me to 
nervously explain, well, it, it kind of is. I don't actually don't live in the States. I live in Japan, uh, in Okinawa. And then he's like, oh, what do you, what do, you do in Okinawa? And then I was like, oh, <laughs> uh, I'm actually a pastor of a church, you know. And he's just like, mm-hmm. And, and then takes my paperwork, goes back to his uh, squad car, comes back some moments later, and then he just says, do you know John and Sherry Reamer? Just like that. And I'm like, uh, yeah, yes, I do. I, I, they're, they're good friends. Now, John, John Reamer was the pastor at Coza Baptist at, at that time, and his wife, Sherry. And so then the officer says, oh, yeah, I looked you up on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> And we're, we're friends, we have, we're friends, you know, um, with them too. And then he just says, I was a Marine stationed there, I attended COSA. He hands me back my license and my paperwork and he just says, slow it down, pastor. <laughs> have a nice day, tell the Reamers I said hello. <laughs> mercy, <laughs> mercy. Right, I, I, I would say I deserve the ticket. I, I was speeding. But that officer showed me mercy. I mean, by the letter of the law, I should have gotten a ticket. But man, I was like, thank God for the Marines and <laughs> Facebook and, you know, COSA. Listen, God did not and God does not give you, give us what we rightly deserve. But God gives us abundant mercy. And it's his nature to do so. And so we have received, because of who God is, through the Lord Jesus Christ, abundant mercy. And then what does he say? Who has begotten us again to a living hope. Number two, if you're a note taker, really simple. We, we've been begotten again. That means we have new life. So many analogies and illustrations that the Bible uses to describe our salvation. And they're, they're fun. They're wonderful. Some of them are just straightforward. You and I have been redeemed. We've been rescued. We've been purchased. We're atoned for. We're adopted. We're set free. Others a little more um, illustrative. We were once, once blind, but now we see. Right? We were once lost, but now we're found. We were once far off, but through the gospel, we've been brought near. I think a very powerful one. We were once dead, but now we're alive. See, begotten us, according to his abundant mercy, who has begotten us, it, it speaks of birth. In fact, some of your Bible translations may just even say that, right? We've been born again. And we must be born again, according to Jesus, when he's talking with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. That great exchange and conversations, religious leader who was very religious, interested in the things of God, curious about Jesus, that they knew how he spoke and what he did was radically different. And so he, he, he comes at the evening time, right? The original Nick at night. And he says, you have to be born again. You know, before I, I was a Christian, some of you guys know, I um, went to Catholic school and was part of the Catholic church. I was a younger, younger kid. 
after my parents divorced, we didn't start, you know, we stopped going to church. But I'm, great, I'm grateful for the, the foundation and the heritage of, of that. But before I was a Christian, I didn't understand that term born again. Uh, years later, I, I, when I heard someone say it, <laughs> Uh, my, my ignorance, I, I thought it applied just to uh, bikers who were like once hell's angels guys and then became Christians and they had born again on the back of their, like there was, the, like there was like a specific category of bikers, you were born again. Right? <laughs> and then later on I thought, oh, it's a special category for Christians who, who were Christians at one time and then, then did bad things for a bit and then they became Christians again and so that, that label to them was they were born again. So just simply opened the Bible and read in John 3, oh, to be Christian is to be born again. To be born again is Christian. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Remember, even Nicodemus didn't quite understand. He took it literally. Like, How can I be born again? I'm an older guy. I'm going to go back in my mom's tummy, that's a little bit weird, and Jesus says, yeah, no, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> you must be born from above. And so John 3, Jesus explains, it means to be spiritually born. The Spirit of God. Right? Again, other terms, we've been regenerated, indwelt in this amazing spiritual mystery of transaction where God himself and the person of the Spirit comes inside of us and makes us spiritually alive. And so God in his great mercy, who has begotten us, given us new life through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says to the Corinthian church, if anyone is in Jesus Christ, they are a new creation. All the old things, our old life, our sin, it's gone, it's dead, it's all passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There's a lot more to say about this gift, and Peter, again, will develop all of these for us, and so we're just laying a foundation. Number three, we have a living hope. Begotten us again to a living hope. A living hope, how? Well, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So important. Peter grasped what Paul had said. Without the resurrection, our faith is it's futile. It's meaningless. We have hope because we've been, and, and it's a living hope because Jesus is alive. And Jesus is alive through the resurrection. Right? He lived and he died, but he didn't stay dead. According to the scriptures, as Jesus promised three days later, right, he rose again. Proof that he claimed who he, you know, as proof of his claim who he was, God in the flesh. See, I know that you know this, right? We don't follow just mere moral teachings of a dead philosopher, of some quote-unquote good person, a religious leader who passed away long ago. Well, Jesus Christ is alive. And, and he lives within us. 
And the hope then that we have, the hope that we've been given, the hope that you and I possess, it's a living hope. And once again, you know, we talked about the, the brand of God's love, right? And the brand of God's peace and the brand of God's grace. Listen, the, the brand, if you will, of God's hope, it's not like the world's cheap knockoff. Our hope isn't a, a, a wishful possibility. Like, okay, the, the probability of odds here, Lord, I'm hoping that this is going to happen. It knows nothing of that. It's not a knock on wood, let's cross our fingers, you know, we, we um, hope on our lucky stars. It's none of that. The hope of the Bible, the hope of the gospel, the hope, the living hope of Jesus Christ that you and I have, it's reality. It's an assurance. And the writer of Hebrews says it anchors our soul. Right? We, we're anchored to heaven. Hebrews 6, 19, the hope that we have is the anchor of our soul. It is sure and is steadfast. And it enters, which enters the presence behind the veil. The very person of Christ, we're anchored to him. And it's a hope then, it's a hope that we have for today and it's a hope through life's ups and downs and it's a hope of tomorrow. And again, Peter will talk about this hope more for us. It's a hope that imparts life. It's a hope that, that you and I have the, the assurance of God's goodness and God's grace and God is a keeper. Of, he's faithful, right? His promises to us even in our darkest days, even in our weakest moments. It's a hope and a belief and a trust that God will work out his divine plan and his purposes. And again, where will Peter bring us to? Even through our trials and our troubles and our pains and our persecutions and our sufferings and our storms. And so we can be assured we have this living hope. He moves on in verse 4. He says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and it does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. What a great verse. Number four, if you're taking note, we have, you have a guaranteed eternal inheritance. There is an amazing promise of future blessing that God has brought us into as his children. You know, some families have been blessed by earthly inheritances, treasures and wealth and, and um, keepsakes. Maybe you experienced that. A loved one right, wrote in their will or they had a trust and, and when they passed, uh, they set forth this uh, direction of the distribution of their, of their wealth and their assets amongst different family members, right? Distributed as they, as they passed away. And so maybe, maybe some of you experienced, received something like this. Then others of us, our parents, our loved ones passed and 
They just left a big pile of bills. <laughs> Accounts payable. That was more of my situation. We inherited a mess. So in God's inheritance, once again, brand, if we can use that term, it is unlike anything. It's, it's in its own category. It's unique. And I want you to notice the three attributes that Peter uses to describe what God has reserved for you, what awaits you. The first descriptor, he, he says, uh, and it's together, right? It's incorruptible and undefiled. That's the first. The second is that it does not fade away. And the third is that it's reserved in heaven for you. Incorruptible and undefiled, or, or your Bible might say imperishable. It's a great translation. The owner of my apartment where I live, uh, from time to time, very graciously, Okinawan gentleman, he'll just come by the door and, and bring gifts. And uh, one time he brought a box of mangoes, of Okinawan mangoes, which you guys know, right? It's like he might as well just give me a box of gold. Probably worth more than gold. And I mean, it was just a tremendous gift. And, and of course, I, if you didn't, I, I love mangoes. It was a huge blessing. The downside, though, is mangoes are perishable. Right? Now, I didn't have a problem, it, like, to force me to eat it quickly, but you have a limited window. You have a limited time to eat those things. Otherwise, uh, if they rot, if you just let them sit there, right, they're not going to be worth anything. So what God gives us, what God has waiting for us, what God promises us, it's better than mangoes. It's better than gold. It will never perish. It will never corrupt. He says it does not fade away. The idea of that is it never loses value. The material things on this side of eternity, right? The material things in this world, the things that we tend to value in, on earth, they're perishable. They will fade away one day. They're going to break. They're going to lose their luster eventually. In fact, in Peter's second letter, he, he says about all the things of earth, they're all going to burn, baby. My paraphrase. All the things on the earth are going to melt away. This fervent heat. And then he adds, if that's true, then what should our pursuits be, right? Like, what, if that's true, where should we orient our life in terms of where we're going and what we're going after? And I think we already know this truth. The things that we think are great today, that we save and we take loans for, and we, we buy, you know, it, the things that are so great today, they become junk tomorrow. And we can spend so much time and energy on chasing after earthly trinkets. I mean, how many of you have an iPhone 3? Any, no? My kids, I, I usually, uh, when, my, when my kids got old enough, then we start handing, you know, all right, you can have a phone. Uh, we just give them our old ones. And then they would complain. 
the battery life's terrible, the screen's dimming. I'm like, yep, and, yep, enjoy. Right? <laughs> when you get a job, you can buy your own. <laughs> it's a gift that fades. It's a gift that doesn't last. But what God has for us on the other side of eternity, it never fades. It's incorruptible. It does not perish. I mean, even, even the gift of life in terms of our physical life, it's a gift that fades. I'm reminded every day when I look in the mirror and my hairline, it's a gift that fades, right? <laughs> and my eyesight's going, and my hearing's going. In many ways, though, there's a blessing of getting older, though, right? Because even though it's all fading away, I can't really quite see. And then when I leave, then I can't remember anyway. So it's all, it all works out. It all works out. It's reserved in heaven for us. Notice, reserved in heaven for you. For you. If you're like me, I, there's a part of me I do feel pretty special when I have a reservation somewhere. When someone's inviting me to something, you know, a ceremony, a retirement, or promotion, or the, and they're like, oh, we have a seat for you. I'm always like, oh, yeah. You know. like we, we, there's a, you know, there's the, this thing about something being reserved for you. Although it's a little different how huh, when we go to the doctor, the dentist, we're not like, I got reservations. You know. <laughs> it's a different, you know, we're, we have an appointment. But when you go to these events that, and your name is there on the table or the chair or wherever it might be, right? That's your seat. Your name's on it. In theory, no one can come and tell you that you can move. You're like, no, my, that's my name right here, see? Right? It's not like at church when someone comes and they're sitting in your usual spot. You're like, hey, that's my usual spot, right? You have like your own kind of cognitive dissidence, like, where am I going to sit now, you know? Listen, reserved in heaven for you because of God's great mercy, which he has shown us through Jesus Christ, because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ, you have a reserved seat in heaven waiting for you. And you're not going to show up one day and get there and be like, hey, someone took my seat. In the book of Isaiah, there's this really interesting picture that the prophet, well, God declares of himself. He says, I have engraved you, your name, on the palms of my hand. Isaiah 49, 16. Your name is engraved. It's very poetic and powerful imagery. The idea that God promises to keep you permanently. In many ways, it's a prophetic picture of Christ whose nail-pierced hands become the visible, uh, tangible reminder of God's love for us. Remember when Thomas doubted the love of the Lord? Doubted Jesus and his love and great. Jesus said, here's my hands. Here's my side. King, we, we, we have an inheritance waiting. Now, Peter also developed the idea that there, we have a deposit of that inheritance even on this side of eternity in God's grace that we get to experience his mercies and his love and his provision. In fact, he, he talks about that a little bit in verse 5. 
He says, who are kept by the power of God through faith, the idea now, for our salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Number five, here's our last point, just taken straight out of verse five. You, you and I, we have the gift of being kept, secured, guaranteed by the power of God. Not only is it a, a guaranteed reservation, but it's the idea that God promises to keep us intact along the way. A promised inheritance and, and, a, and a protected journey, if you will. Because remember, one of the themes that Peter writes about is we are pilgrims, we're sojourners, we're in transit, we're, we're resident aliens. This is not our home. And, and the promise of God to you and to me is that He will see us through. That He will complete the good work that He began in you until the day of Christ Jesus, Paul tells us. So what awaits us in eternity? The idea, the idea of reserved and ready, revealed in the last day basically means it's all set. It's all done. It's just waiting for you. God and the angels aren't running around in a frenzy trying to clean up. Or just throw that in a drawer. You grab the vacuum, you do that at your house. Right. My son Noah, my oldest son Noah, he, uh, he's engaged now. He's going to be getting married in September to this very lovely girl named Lydia. And so uh, they are in their planning stages. And we're praying for them and all that. If you're married, you might remember some of the, you know, the process of that. And so we just told him, listen, we'll be happy to come. And, and even if you need us to come early to help set up, to get ready, whatever you need. Because we, we, we've done a lot of those over the years. Has there ever been part of that where you're, you know, you're, you go and help the family and um, you're getting ready for their ceremony or even the reception, you know, just putting things out and carrying and moving things. Right? There's a whole whirlwind of activity, right? People are coming and going, carrying stuff. They're all in directions. But then when the, when the bride and groom arrive, though, the hope, the aim is that it's all set. You're not like, oh, great that you're here. Can you pick this up? We need to put this on the centerpiece, right? Everything's set. It's ready for them. They just have to show up. See, God says the finale of our salvation, the wedding feast that you and I get to walk into, it's all set. It's ready to be revealed. And it's going to be grand. It's going to be glorious. We're going to be forever united with our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And so there's, a, there's an element of this where Peter's telling, it's all ready to go. So you don't have to worry about it. And part of that also is that he's saying God's keeping you. His promise is that he is going to keep us and make us ready for what he has for us. And again, this is foundational. Because where will Peter take us? He's going to take us to storms and trials and difficulties. And so we have to make sure we understand this. This is foundational. God's got you. And God's going to keep you. Because the storms will come. And life gets hard. 
and, and life doesn't care, right? Death doesn't care about your calendar. Uh, you and I will get sucker punched along the way. And we'll be tempted to think that's not fair. We'll be tempted to think, where are you, God? I don't see you, don't hear you. Where are you? I, we'll be tempted to feel like we're alone or we're abandoned. Or that God's absentee. Which isn't true at all. But along with that, we'll be tempted to quit. And so Peter wants to establish this truth in our hearts for his readers and for us. Because what else is true? The trials and the testing and the storms and the suffering, they are part of the journey. That's also true. They will be part of our story. And so, we need to be sure of this. You have God's great mercy. And you and I have new life in the Lord. And we have a living hope. And, and you have a guaranteed eternal inheritance that awaits you on the other side of eternity. And God says, I'll get you there. He'll complete the good work he began. Amen? Father, we thank you so much for your word, the blessings that you have given us. Lord, I pray that we'd allow these truths to become concrete in our hearts and minds and souls and spirit. Lord, we thank you for your, your great love and your great mercy that you have poured out upon us. We magnify you today. We too exalt you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right.